Hello world, I'm Chalanga. I'm Dylan. And this is the CND NBA pod. What up, Dylan? It's been a while since it's been just you and me, baby. Oh, it feels so good. <laughs> I, I just feel comfortable. Um, it feels normal. I feel safe. I feel like I got a lot more responsibility on my hands. I'm not just the like one-liner king here. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to come up with some takes here, Dylan. Uh, you listeners can't see, but I'm in a coat and scarf <laughs> and hat because it is really cold here in Minnesota. We're in the middle of a polar vortex. <laughs> what? Do you guys not want to use your heat over there? Oh, no, the heat is on. My room just gets cold. Um <laughs> Because it's like the farthest away from the heat. So, Hilarious. and I'm right above the garage too. So it gets chilly, but I, I'm I'm not actually that cold. I just thought I'd put on all this stuff for the polar vortex. It was like negative 15 this morning when I woke up. Oh my God. I don't even know what that means anymore. <laughs> it's 80 degrees out here, baby. I got my, I got my uh, George Michael choose life shirt hey. going on. It's 80 degrees. Nice and sweaty, baby. I'm Future in the game strong, Dylan. <laughs> uh, that by the way, everybody, the, this choose life shirt it has nothing to do with abortion, it has to do with it was like some type of anti suicide well, advocacy in the 80s, right? Well, everyone knows we on this podcast are pro abortion, we believe everyone should get aborted. There are too yes. many people, and we yes. want the human race to die out. Eugenics, we are pro eugenics. <laughs> For a second, I was wondering why we would, why our listenership hasn't grown, but maybe it's because we keep saying th shit like we're pro-abortion. <laughs> and people get really turned off by that. I don't know why people, like, I thought, I thought that was cool to be pro-abortion. I thought that was a new thing. They think that we're pro-eugenics. They think that we, we want to create a superior race of Dylan's and Chilangas. <laughs> we're we're double leftists so we went so far from leftists that we actually ended up being on the right but then we went so far again that then we're, we're like left again uh, back on the left <laughs> but our ideology is all fucked up from that process i think that circle of leftist rightist thing is such complete bullshit by the way anyway uh let's get back to the podcast <laughs> All right, real stupid news. Uh, this week, a courtside fan in Atlanta yelled at LeBron James and got uh, removed from the game. They're calling her courtside Karen. Juliana Carlos of the greater Atlanta area uh, claims that LeBron yelled at her husband. And so she yelled back and she claims LeBron said to her, shut your mouth, you dumb B word. Do you, do you believe that LeBron said that, Dylan? <laughs> she is such a desperate, desperate, desperate real housewife. Mm -hmm. She wants to be so badly. She wants to be on the Real Housewives of Miami or some shit. I don't know. Because they're bringing Real Housewives of Miami back. I know Ooh. Real Housewives of Atlanta, but Real Housewives of Atlanta doesn't have any white chicks. And she definitely would not be welcome. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was bullshit. I mean, so it sounds like her husband said some shit to LeBron. LeBron clapped back. That's like what happens at basketball games. If you yell at a basketball player, they're going to clap back at you. And she got heated, pulled her mask down, risked getting COVID. I think, though, the bottom line is the Atlanta Hawks should not have courtside fans. I think that's right. Oh, my God. Fuck Atlanta. Fuck the All-Star game. I mean, LeBron James has every right and like obviously after that type of altercation 
he's going to want to not have an all-star game in Atlanta. You know what I mean? Like those comments are that he made after that. Cause he made those after the game, right? Uh, yes, he did. It's not surprising at all to me that he was anti all-star game after that altercation with a courtside fan in Atlanta. Right. Well, that is another piece of news this week. The all-star game will be hosted in Atlanta on March 7th. Uh, NBA players are not excited about this. LeBron said, this is crazy. The quote that LeBron gave has been misquoted all throughout the internet. So the internet said that he had, he said zero energy, zero interest. But if you listen to it, he said zero energy, zero excitement. <laughs> um, okay. But well, that sounds like he's, he would still do it. Oh, he's going to go. Yeah. He's going to go play. They're all going to go play. They're going to get, they get fined a pretty hefty sum. I mean, not that I don't care. LeBron, LeBron. if if LeBron quits, then silver has to shut it down. So LeBron, this is your chance to actually make a difference. Nah, nah. LeBron is LeBron is, has always been an NBA first guy. Joe Biden lib. (laughs) He, he is the Joe Biden of the NBA. (laughs) (laughs) Who's the Bernie Sanders? Kyrie? No. Uh, no. It's the Marjorie Taylor Green. It's my guy, De'Aaron Fox. Yeah. De'Aaron Fox said, if I can be honest about the All-Star game, I think it's pretty stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Just in general, the All-Star game is pretty stupid. I like the All-Star like selection. But the All-Star mm-hmm. game kind of just fucking sucks. Right. That's the thing. Fans don't care. Last year, the All-Star game was okay because they made all those crazy Elam ending rules or whatever. But most of the time, the All-Star game sucks and no one wants to watch it. I don't like watching it. I like watching the highlights, the crazy dunks that happen, but that's it. Yeah, this should just be a, a week-long dunk contest. H- have people submit videos of the of them dunking. That's fine. I'd love that. i'm fine with that (laughs) whatever nba is really showing their colors this year because here's another terrible story from the nba this week kevin durant and the curious case of covid19 so this week katie got the the word minutes before a game that he couldn't play because there was an inconclusive covid19 test from someone who he had come in contact with so it was contact tracing protocol he couldn't play then during the first quarter, they said, oh, no, actually, we're good. You can play. So he checks into the game with four minutes, 13 seconds left in the first. Then in the third quarter, they say, actually, KD, that inconclusive test result was a positive COVID test. You have got to leave the game. <laughs> Ooh, this is just a mess. They're, they're handling this pandemic like shit. Yeah. Bubble up, NBA. I mean, just wait until you get you can get everybody vaccinated. Once you get everybody vaccinated, do whatever the government regulations are. Fine. Let fans mm-hmm. into stadiums. But like, why not just bubble up until it's the NBA's turn to get vaccinated? I have no clue. It's the the only thing that it is is a money grab. And it's not that big of a money grab because the biggest money grab that they have possible is the cable networks. Spectrum's right. in charge of the NBA right now, and that's why you can't watch the fucking games. Like, Chalenga <laughs> had to get a VPN. I don't know if I can share this on podcast. Is this bad to share them? I don't know. But Chalenga had to get a VPN, so it said that he wasn't watching in Minnesota. And it's like, this is all just Spectrum being a fucking asshole. That's mm-hmm. all it is. And the, and these cable deals are literally the reason why the NBA is able to exist today without any 
fans in the in most of the stadiums at least yep it fucking sucks regarding your point about vaccines there was also a story this week that there's a bunch of nba there's like a big contingency of nba players who are not planning on getting the vaccine which is frustrating tell me how flushing your toilet works just tell me that (laughs) it's that yeah something that simple yeah, Dylan and I have really been there. There's like the, this argument against the vaccine is like there's not enough information until I have all the information about it. I will not take it. I will not take it because I don't know what <laughs> I'm putting in my body. And it's like, yo, like, have you ever eaten at McDonald's? Have you ever driven <laughs> a car? Have you ever watched television? Like you do things. Have you ever woken up? <laughs> <laughs> have you ever had a child? Like, come on. You can't tell me how any of this shit works. Oh, my it's God. Like, they're pretending to be so woke, but the reality is that they're still asleep in their beds, afraid to leave because they don't trust anything. Yeah, I mean, like I'm, I'm totally for distrust in the government. I think it's foolish to just put your full faith and trust in the government. But when it comes to mass vaccination of people during a pandemic, that's a time where you should say, okay, yes, get me the vaccine so that we can have people stop dying. Like, get me, get me some accredited doctors who are specialists in virology not just i don't want to hear this bullshit from orthopedic surgeons that my mom sent me over the internet i want to hear it from a virologist that this vaccine is safe if i can cure a consensus of doctors saying this vaccine is safe then the vaccine is safe we have to just get life fucking started again i need to be able to kiss chalanga make it happen people all right, uh, we're going to put out a petition after this podcast um, to help Dylan kiss me, vaccinate 300 million people by May. Um, <laughs> all right, let's get back to real stupid news. We got a couple more stories. Derek Rose was just traded from the Detroit Pistons oh to the God. New York Knicks to rejoin his uh, star-crossed lover, Tom Thibodeau. I got to admit, I almost missed Tom Thibodeau. I almost (laughs) did when the Knicks were like nine and eight or something. And coincidentally, the Timberwolves were 10 and eight last year. (laughs) But when the Knicks were nine and eight or whatever, I was like, "Hmm, maybe I do miss Tom Thibodeau. At least he can get some schlubs like RJ Barrett and Julius Randle, the worst NBA player of all time to play above average basketball or like above 500 basketball but now this just confirms all of my greatest fears new york knicks fans good fucking luck it's just downhill from here this is where it started that jeff teague trade for ricky rubio was where it started for me and now for the new york knicks they're i mean dennis smith jr has not shown out for the new york knicks the way that like maybe some had hoped but I just do not want Derrick Rose taking away minutes from any New York Knicks at all. I'm actually excited for DSJ's new start in Detroit. He's going to have minutes right away because Killian is out. And I'm with J. Cole on this one. Dennis Smith can ball. He's just got to he's got to keep at it. What is what song is that? Anyway, yeah, I'm into. I'm not I'm not giving up on Dennis Smith Jr. So is Dennis Smith and a and a Charlotte second round pick, which should be you know mid second round. So you know that's not much to give up for Derrick Rose. But Tom, sometimes you just got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, and it's time to fold Derrick Rose. Like you don't need him anymore. He's not going to help you. And like Derrick Rose, not just the player, but Derrick Rose the person. You don't need that. You don't need it. Yeah, I, I'm still waiting on that public apology. 
that will never come because it beat the case. So whatever. And finally, Brad Beal, the most miserable man in the NBA, reportedly wants to stay in Washington. Dylan, do you buy this? I do not believe one damn second of that. I don't buy one character of that statement, one letter in that statement. Starting with I. NBA team, this is coming out of the Wizards front office. I don't think that there is any way that the Wizards front office would not do this at this point. The Wizards have the least amount of wins in the entire NBA. They don't have the least, the smallest winning percentage right now, but they have the least amount of wins in the NBA with four wins, correct? If I were the Wizards front office, I would be pumping this like, oh yeah, he wants to stay in DC, blah, blah, blah. They just want to get whatever they can right now for Bradley Beal. And as they should, as I'm not knocking them for pushing this story, but I don't believe that Brad Beal is happier than he's ever been or happy, you know, this is so, so sick. The Wizards have five wins. Um, and my my thing about it is that, like, I think actually a player out coming outright and saying they want to get traded doesn't actually lower their trade value because it creates this frenzy among teams that are trying to get better, especially because the free agent class is headlined next year by DeMar DeRozan. Like these teams that are trying to get better, there's going to like if Brad Beal says, I want to get traded and I will resign here, here, or here, those teams, those three teams that he names are gonna like duke it out and mortgage their future for Brad Beal. That's what happened with James Harden. That's what happened, I mean, kind of with Drew Holiday, but I mean trades are the are kind of the new thing right now. Yes, we all knew that James Harden wanted out, but we also were like wondering if he was going to leave at the same time. So the Wizards front office making this like kind of questionable or inconclusive as to whether he wants out or not. It's just it plays into their favor. And Brad Beal, I I just cannot see him being a wizard for at least the next two years. Maybe he could sit out this year, obviously. The trade deadline's coming up probably somewhere. Is has a trade deadline been announced? I cannot imagine Bradley Beal not being traded by the trade deadline next season. The trade deadline is actually March 25th. So there's, oh, there's quite a bit of time left. Month and a half still. That's not a ton of time. All right. Enough real stupid news. Let's move on to some Timberwolves talk. We had a back-to-back this weekend, Friday and Saturday, against the Oklahoma Oklahoma City Thunder. Oof. When I was in Scotland, I saw a musical of Oklahoma, except it was only gay men, and it was called Oklahoma. And this was <laughs> my junior year of high school, so it was fucking awesome. That sounds uh, very much really tight. It. Yeah, I would have loved to see that junior year of high school. Edinburgh Fringe Festival. It destroyed me. I'm going to have to hear more stories from that, because... You bring that up, you know, every once in a while, and it's always like something weird that happened while you were there. So we'll have to dedicate some pod time to talking about that at some point. But right now, we have to, you know what, we have to bring on Chris Paulson for that because he was a part of all of those stories, most of those stories. Crispy, you're coming on this month. It's happening. Um, on Friday night, the Wolves beat the Thunder 106 to 103. Um, this game was kind of fucked up. The Thunder only had eight active players. Their starting point guard was Kenrich Williams, who is rocking a mullet now. (laughs) But kind of like Hamadou Diallo had 10 assists on Friday. 
Yeah, so I, they didn't have a starting point guard. It's the point. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Al Horford had a fucking career night. Not a career night, but he put up like 26 points. He could not miss. And the game was super close, but D'Lo came up big in the clutch, hit a ice in his veins, deep three to uh, win the game late in the fourth quarter. What do you think of that shot, Dylan? I hated every minute of it. It was so disorganized. I mean, as much as we want to blame Ryan Saunders, though, how much can you organize a D-low offense? How much can you really run sets in a D-low offense? Because he's 45% from deep in the fourth quarter in a pull-up on just pull-ups themselves. Nine for 20 right now this season. So, like, maybe that was technically a good shot. I don't know, (laughs) but I hated it. Right. Well, that's that's the thing about D'Lo is that like the the upside of D'Lo is that he does have that like end of game. We're going to win this game shot making ability. What he lacks is the consistent throughout the game, uh, you know, making his teammates better, taking why, good shots. Why but, are we in this position? The D, that D'Lo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why did we have to be 103 to 103 against a team that had their two best players in Shea Gildas Alexander and Lou Dort? Maybe I mean maybe their two best players. Uh they had both of those players out. Like, how could we not beat this team, honestly? <laughs> right. Well, it's because I mean, like when when D'Lo is in the game, the Wolves kind of have to play D'Lo ball, especially without Cat. Like you, you just have to play D'Lo ball. And luckily, like Malik Beasley is actually an incredible pairing with D'Lo because his catch and shoot this year is like unreal. He was six of twelve from three last night, and he is pulling up off the catch with confidence, which is like super necessary with when you're playing with D'Lo because you never know when that kick out is going to come, and you got to be ready for it. Um, cause he, you know, he has that herky jerky, slow prodding game. He gets into the paint and like, you never know if he's going to shoot it or kick it out. Most of the time he's going to shoot it, but, um, and his, the whole thing about Delo's game is, is that he has to do everything at a time when his defender is not expecting it. So whether he's passing, whether he's shooting, mm-hmm. whatever it is, he can't do it at a time that the defender is expecting it because he's so slow. So if he yeah. were fast, he could get to the bucket and he would just put it up right where he needs to. But like because he's so slow, everything that D'Lo does is a little bit unexpected. And maybe that's why Ricky Rubio can't play with him, to be honest, because he's kind of an unexpected player. Yeah. And and like I think the, the point about D'Lo being slow is really it's really good. Because like, there was one play in transition on Friday night where he was streaking down the court with Beasley and Akogi flanking him on either side and he could not keep up yo oh my god he fell so far behind and it actually like because he couldn't get in position to position to pass it to Akogi who was cutting in time the defenders actually got back and they broke up the transition play uh, because I, I think it was maybe Hamadou Diallo who was fast as fuck who got back and made the defensive play. Oh, by the way, I want to credit at Threesley, Timberwolves talk, our guy, we had him on a couple weeks ago. He was the one who had that stat nine for 20 for D'Lo in the fourth quarter. But there was someone on Timberwolves Twitter who was complaining about Hamadou Diallo covering D'Angelo Russell on that last play. He's like, well, they didn't even have their best defender, Justin Jackson, on on uh, <laughs> on, on D'Angelo Russell. I'm like, 
No, Hamadou Diallo was their best defender that night on Friday. Yeah, Hamadou Diallo is actually a solid defender. That's the one thing he does well other than dunking. He's kind of like the smaller version of Derek Jones Jr. in that way. Hamadou Diallo has had a good season. And and Hamadou Diallo being on Malik or being on D'Angelo Russell on that last possession, that was the right matchup for OKC at least. Yeah, and let's let's be done talking about this game because even though it was a win, it was really miserable to watch. Yeah, and I, I mean, a- Anthony Edwards was horrible. He was <laughs> three for fourteen. Um, Akogi was horrible. He was zero for three in like nine minutes, nine and a half minutes. So let's talk about yesterday's game. I just watched that today, and that was a crazy game. So the the Wolves ended up losing one eighteen to one twenty. But that's after being down at halftime, 83 to 62. I feel like at one point it was 25 points. That's how I feel in my mind. Was it? Oh, uh, OKC's largest lead was 26. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was insane how horribly the Timberwolves were playing. But also, let's be honest. OKC with Lou Dort and Shea Gildas-Alexander is a solid team. Like, they are really good pairing. They are. Mm-hmm. And like with when you add in Darius Baisley, when you add in just like what these other guys can do for them, it's fine. I mean, they're they're without Al Horford, but I actually didn't think Al Horford looked at good at all on Friday. I just thought that he was just whatever points he was getting. He was he's just a vet. That's how he gets those points. He's not in shape. He's not Al Horford anymore. Like he clearly looks like he has lost a step. I think the best version of this OKC team has Lou Dort. Darius Baisley and Shea Gilgis Alexander on the court. Uh, absolutely. And, and, and Mike Muscala, evidently. Yo, I mean, it doesn't help when Mike Muscala is, is eight for eight in the first half, I think he was, with like 22 points. It was crazy. Vanderbilt couldn't stop him. Nas Reed couldn't stop him. Ryan even put in Ed Davis to for end three the, minutes. the first half. <laughs> To see if he could do something about Mike Muscala. And he couldn't. The only person who could do something about Mike Muscala was Jaden McDaniels, who in the third quarter tried to do a swipe through move and elbowed him right in the face. And he had to leave the game. Thank God. (laughs) That almost won us the game right there, baby. (laughs) Um, Well, it's funny because I was watching this the day after. And so I knew the end result. And like as I was watching the first half, I was like, okay, how does OKC get to? 83 because they were at like 60 with like six minutes left i was like no way that like how did they do this <laughs> bad wolves defense bad nasri mm-hmm. defense bad vanderbilt defense bad at davis defense and lots of turnovers mm-hmm. lots of turnovers but ryan i was you know i was gonna call ryan a coward at the beginning of the game because he didn't start Jaden. He pulled a Kogi from the starting lineup, put in Vanderbilt instead of McDaniels, which to me is a cowardly move, but he redeemed himself by starting the fourth quarter with McDaniels at the five. It was a small ball lineup of J-Mac, Jalen Noel, Beasley, Lehman, and McDaniels. And they played for half of the fourth quarter and they played really well. Small ball lineup with with Jaden McDaniels infused a lot of confidence for me in Ryan Saunders' ability to figure out good lineups. I do think he's okay at finding good lineups. I think he kind of knows who needs to play with whom. It's the problem is is he doesn't know when, and then the other problem is is he doesn't know when to call timeouts and he doesn't know the right sets to be called in in crunch time 
I did not have a problem though with the last set of the game. So Nas Reed got the ball in the high post and ended up getting not an awesome look. Uh, it was a hook shot. He ended up driving in and got a got a hook shot right in front of the hoop. It was pretty well covered. But that being said, Nas Reed was on fire. So I don't blame them for trying to get that look. And it ultimately was a pretty good look. Malik Beasley was pretty well covered on that play. So Mm -hmm. uh, anybody screaming out that we needed to get one of our guards the ball, I I just don't think that was the right move. I think Nas was technically the best move. And and so I don't blame Ryan Saunders for anything that happened in the second half. Not one thing. I will say, I mean, me personally, and I'm not an NBA coach, but I probably would have tried to get it to Anthony Edwards for the win from three because he was he was playing pretty well. Um, and like I would want to instill that confidence in in the rook. But I, I don't think that it's a bad call to go to the hot hand in Nas Reed. Overall, though, I, I think that this game was much more enjoyable to watch than Friday's game because. In, in the second half, they climbed back from that huge deficit, which we never see from the Wolves. And they played with energy. They played as a unit. They were hitting shots. They were getting out in transition. Jake Lehman had some heroics in the fourth quarter, getting his hands on the ball, hitting three-point shots. It gave me a look into what this team can look like when everyone is engaged and Honestly, like Josh Okogie's not playing. <laughs> you know? and, and most importantly, like, would Tibbs have gotten that out of his players? No, a player coach gets that out of his players. And I mean, maybe Tibbs gets that out of his guys, his the people that like really love Tibbs. But Ryan Saunders did something in this game to get the team back. I don't know what it was. We didn't hear the halftime speech or anything, but something happened where Ryan Saunders actually did inspire this team. Someone inspired this team. And I think that we do have to give props to Ryan Saunders in this game. Uh, Anybody calling for Ryan Saunders to be fired to me, they're casuals. Mm -hmm. I have to say that because like, I really do wish that we could find a better coach than Ryan Saunders. Obviously. I think everybody wishes that. But the realities of that happening in the middle of the season and like taking the Timberwolves to the playoffs are just so far fetched that why are we like I've seen all of these threads on Twitter where people are saying, let's get a fire Ryan Saunders thread going. I don't remember who it was specifically, but it's like, why are we firing Ryan Saunders? We're not going to be any better without him. And what happened last night was a testament to the upside of his coaching ability, which is connecting with the players and being able to get them to play hard for him. And he did that. He finally did that. I mean, he he did that last year as well, to some extent, at the end of the season especially. But that game was exactly the reason why Ryan Saunders has somewhat of an upside. I'm not saying that he should be the coach after this season, but let's give him a chance at least till the end of the season. To be fair, we did fire Ryan Saunders on this podcast. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know what he's doing on the court, to be honest. But <laughs> it, this is there's some kind of shadiness going up. I don't know. I don't know what Glenn Taylor's doing, but there's some kind of shadiness going on. All right. And our last thing for this pod, Dylan, you, you asked the question, what do we think and what do we want the starting lineup and the rotation to look like moving forward? forward i think this is more interesting to other people than it is to us because we completely agree on this (laughs) but yeah we do the starting lineup has to be d we're paying him to be there 
Malik Beasley. And he should be there. I mean, D'Angelo Russell is a good basketball player. He just needs to get with the program, right? That's the the piece. Well, and he needs someone who can get with the program with him. And I think Cat can be Mm -hmm. that. Malik Beasley, who has just shown that he is one of the best contracts in the league. Chalanka asked me the other day, is Malik Beasley the best contract in the NBA? I don't think he is, but he's in that conversation. I think OG mm-hmm. Ananobi might be the best contract in the league just because. But OG Ananobi has a player option at the end of his contract. Malik Beasley has a team option for like $15 million. And with the way that the cap could go, it could spike after the pandemic. I think Malik Beasley could be looking pretty good in three years. Anthony Edwards has to start at small forward at this point. I mean, he's shown that he can hit catch and shoot threes at this point. And if you want to have the modern system that that Ryan Saunders wants to run, it's got to be Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels at the three and four. They can both spot up from three. And then you have Cat at center. And maybe you can run Anthony Edwards a little bit with the second lineup so that he can have his own ISOs and run pick and roll for himself. But I think that's the lineup going forward once Cat's healthy. Yeah, I think you brought up a good point about getting Edwards those ISOs because that that's like when Edwards is at his most exciting. As far as the bench, who should play, who shouldn't play? Is there anybody who is currently playing who you feel shouldn't play? You know, The problem with the Wolves as constructed is that they have another 10 guys nine guys i guess but 10 guys actually yeah because of uh because jordan mclaughlin who deserve minutes in some respect whether it's how they've played in the past like rubio or whether it's how they're playing now like jared vanderbilt but some of these guys are going to have to get out of the rotation because you can't play more than 10 players in the regular season regular season rotations are a little bit longer but you can't have more than 10 guys so chalanka some of our friends are going to get cut right now, and it's not going to be fun. We're, we only got five more guys in our ideal Timberwolves mm-hmm. rotation. Rubio has to be there. Unfortunately, yeah. Rubio's got to be there. He's yes. making $17 million well, right now. He's going to get better. His, his offense is like really bad right now, and his decision-making is also funky. I'm not really sure what's up, but I think it's it's like a frustration thing. It's because this team is so bad, he feels like he has to do so much. Once Cat's Mm -hmm. back, it's going to bring a lot of stability to the team, and Ricky Rubio's not going to have to force offensive possessions, especially in transition, which is where most of his turnovers are happening in transition, where it's like, why are you forcing that? Jim Pete's like, why, Ricky, why? Like, every time. Mm -hmm. Ricky Rubio knows he shouldn't make those passes, but... That is the opportunity cost Ricky Rubio is is calculating in his mind because he thinks he needs to do this for the team. These types of amazing passes he thinks needs to happen in order for the team to win, which maybe isn't true at this point because the team has shown that there is some talent on it. But still, I understand why Ricky is making these dumbass decisions. Ricky will be All better. Right. We need so him Rubio as a trade. Plays over, Rubio plays over J-Mac in our ideal lineup. We need him as a trade piece at the very least. He needs mm-hmm. to play himself into becoming a trade piece. Cool. Uh, uh, who else is on our on our bench? Now, this one might become as some of a, somewhat of a surprise. Jalen Noel, he is balling out. He was perfect from the field in the first half, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. He looked exactly like Malik Beasley. And as Ryan Saunders said, he said, Malik Beasley is the one guy that has figured out my system. Well, guess what? Jalen Noel last night just showed that he is the second player to figure out the system completely. Yo, and and Jalen, as he gets comfortable, we're going to start to see him launch from deep. He's got the range 
I mean, he is a shooter. And I can you can tell when he plays, like when he's got the the ball and he's dribbling and he's like, you know, five, six feet off of the three-point line, you can kind of see that he's like, I could shoot this right now. But he he's shown like great restraint in not doing that and has really only taken good shots. So I mean, he's totally earned playing time at this point. He he looks fantastic. I love Jalen Noel. This was Chalanga's pick at shooting guard, and I 100% agree with you, Chalanga. This next one is going to be the biggest controversy of all, I think, because of who it who it implies is not going to be playing moving forward, and that is Jarrett Culver. Again, just like Ricky Rubio, part of this is because Jarrett Culver needs to build his build himself as an asset. He's going to be the trade asset moving forward. Unfortunately, Josh Okogie is not going to be a trade asset moving forward for the Timberwolves. But luckily for the Timberwolves, there are other players that can step up and uh, deserve playing minutes over Josh Okogie so that when we do finally have our team, maybe Josh Okogie can be a really great defender off the bench. I think that the 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 Culver versus Okogie <clears throat> conversation is interesting because in a lot of ways, they kind of serve the same role, right? They're, they're defense first players who have their offensive limitations. I think Okogi is probably a better defender right now than Jarrett Culver is, but Jarrett Culver is a good defender. And has better tools than Josh Okogi, I would say. And what Jarrett has that Josh Okogi does not is the ability to dribble (laughs) and, and facilitate. And when he's confident, he can attack the rim in a way that Josh Okogi just like simply can't because his dribble, like Josh's dribble just isn't there. And so unless he's got a wide open hole to the, to the rim, he's, I mean, he's not, he's not making it. It's starting to be like that. Josh Okogi is officially worse from the free throw line than Jarrett Culver. I mean, currently he's shooting 72% from the free throw line, but last night he had two attempts from within three feet right around the rim. He missed both of them, ended up getting the foul call in the second one, and missed both free throws after that. There's something going on with Josh Okoge offensively in these last two or three games that is just messing with his mind. I mean, if you... It's not just the last two or three games. It's been all season, Dylan. He's been absolutely horrible offensively this season. When Cat has been on the floor, he has played a lot better offensively. I will say that. Yeah. But but he's not doing well. He's 40, 45% from two right now. Not acceptable. What are you, like 18%, 18% from three? 18% from three, yeah. In our rotation, Josh Kogi for now, we're putting and then I think, Culver there. I think the, and then the, the last player that I feel, and, and Culver, you know, depending on how he plays, he could be in or out. But, like, the last player that needs to be in the rotation is obviously Nas Reed. Like, he right. has proven that he is good. <laughs> he he can score. He can like at least be in the right place defensively. Um, obviously, can be very easily beaten. But you know, uh, from a backup center, if if he's shooting forty percent from three and scoring at the basket efficiently, then like yes, come on, you're you're in the rotation. The tenth man is another fifty fifty guy, and we decided that that based on what we've seen, Jake Lehman deserves a spot in the rotation. So we're going 10 deep. I think Ryan wants to go 10 deep. And Jake Lehman, especially lately, has come on. You know, when he's playing against against bench units, he looks more comfortable. He's a really smart player. He's a great cutter. He's a streaky shooter, but when he's on, he's on. When he's off, he's off. A, a competent defender. And But he bails out the offense every time. And he bails out the defense every time. Every time... 
that Jaden McDaniels had a good play on defense that almost got the team the turnover. Jake Lehman was there to assure that that turnover was going to happen. He got the steal. He ended up getting the statistic at the end of like, I think it happened twice last night. And it seems like Jake Lehman just is in the right spot at the right time on defense. I know that he's not like the most athletic defender. He's not Josh Kogi. He'll never be Josh Kogi. Obviously like that's, I shouldn't even have to say that, but I, I don't know why I did. Um, but Jake Lehman on offense, he bails out the offense. And Every honestly, time- I just, I just want to see Jake, Jake Lehman dunk on people. He's one of the only wolves who is like unafraid to dunk on anyone. Yeah, whether it is in transition, he'll get the steal. And in transition, he has the speed to get a dunk on the other end. But at the same time, like when he is cutting, like let's say Jaden McDaniels is stuck with the dribble at the top of the key, which happened last night. He cuts and he gets an easy basket on the inside. Like these things are so necessary for a team like that wants to run an offense like D'Lo wants to, where there's a lot of dribbling and there's a lot of pick and roll. And maybe it's not always going to work out. Maybe you're not going to get the shot that you want. Jake Lehman knows how to improvise and it's necessary in the type of offense that the Timberwolves want to run. Yep. So that means, you know, in our ideal, uh, ideal lineup, uh, a Kogi, J-Mac, Wancho and Davis are, are not in the line and Vanderbilt are not in the lineup. And granted, like, obviously, if a Kogi like gets his game back, he deserves a spot. You know, Jared Vanderbilt is a spot, a spot player. You know, if you need to be a little bit bigger on the second unit, um, if you need someone to come in and give the team energy, he's great for that. Wancho needs to prove that he can do anything before, <laughs> before I feel like he's ready to play. And the other thing is I'm not sure about Layman playing the four. And Vanderbilt might be there instead playing the four. And maybe it right. is Vander, maybe it is Culver versus Lehman playing the three. I don't know. I think it depends. I mean, I think most second units are pretty small. I think that teams tend to go small in the second unit. And so I, I think Lehman can compete, but I, I mean, we'll see. J Mac can play in, I mean, he's the he's the guy that plays with Ruby or Adilo Kanko. Um, and Ed Davis can watch from the bench ed davis uh i don't want to <laughs> shit on ed davis sorry <laughs> never mind no we love ed davis thank you for <laughs> listening don't forget to follow us on the socials at cnd pod on twitter and instagram send us an email at cnd nba pod uh or cnd nba at gmail.com excuse me um and uh you know download like subscribe do all the shit tony b like and subscribe tony b if you wanted to email us so badly why did you not review us yeah that motherfucker question bye everyone